Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Let's go to John 8 this morning, and uh, we want to uh, uh, begin to look at some things over the next few weeks. Uh, in a, uh, a series that uh, I believe I've been led to be to title, In the Consistency Lies the Power. And, uh, you know, the power of anything lies in how consistently it's applied to your life. Uh, in, in whatever area that may be, what you do consistently is what produces change. If, uh, if it's something that, um, you know, I do erratically or I do uh, ever sporadically every now and then, uh, the benefits are going to be minimal. And uh, that, that is so important because uh, uh, years ago I learned that if, uh, if things are going to change, it requires a consistency. And in John chapter 8, and we'll begin here in uh, verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, notice the word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, very often that verse is, is quoted, and it's true, knowing the truth makes you free, but notice what he said in verse 31. The, the word according to John 17, 17 is truth, Amen. all right? Sanctify them through your word, your word is truth. And notice what he says. He says, if you continue in my word, so we could say without harming the scripture, if you continue in the truth. Then you're my disciples, and you shall know the truth. So the word know is to come into this intimacy, to have an intimate knowledge of. And Jesus says, the only way that I can know or have this intimate knowledge of the truth is by continuing in it, by being consistent with it. All right? Amen. The Roos Bible says, if you remain in the word which is mine, you'll know the truth. If you remain in the word, which is mine. The New English Bible says, if you dwell within the revelation which I have brought. If you dwell there. Uh, Paul wrote this, and he said that the word of God had to make itself at home. The, the phrase is dwell richly in the King James Bible. The word means to settle down and really make itself at home. All right, the word has to be made to feel at home in my life and in my, in my home because 
That is where the victory's at. So consistency brings out the power of a thing. All right? Consistency brings out the power of a thing. And to be consistent carries the idea of being solid, not fluid. All right? If something's consistent, it's not uh, uh, watery one day and thick the next day. There's a consistency to it. All right? And so in order to be powerful, remember what James said, he said that I couldn't be a person of two minds. Being two, of two minds is being inconsistent. All right? And there are things that the Word tells us to take hold of. And it uses phrase like, phrases like, take fast hold of, or hold fast to. And so I've been going through the Scriptures looking at those phrases. Take hold of, take fast hold of. And we're going to look at a couple of them today, and then we'll look at more as we progress. But Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4 is where we'll begin. And the first thing that Scripture tells, well, one of the first things that Scripture tells us to take hold of is instruction. Instruction. Now, Well, let's read the scripture and then we'll get into the meanings. Proverbs 4 and verse 13. Notice it says, Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, notice, for she is your life. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her. For she is your life. Now, that phrase, fast hold, take fast hold, it means this. It means to be obstinate, constant, to seize, to hold strongly with. To be obstinate, constant, to seize, to hold strongly with. So he says, be obstinate about instruction. All right? Usually when that word obstinate is used, it's it's used in relation to somebody that's stubborn, somebody that's hard-headed. Oh, they're just obstinate. They they won't change their mind for nothing. Well, uh, depending on how that's being applied, it can be a good or a bad thing. But here he says, be obstinate about holding on to instruction. Now, the word instruction, I know what leaps to our mind the, at first is, you know, uh, being told how to do something. But the word instruction in the Hebrew means discipline. Here's one of every believer's favorite words, correction or doctrine. It means discipline, correction, or doctrine. So when you put those meanings together, we're to be obstinate and constant about receiving correction and discipline. I have to take fast hold of it. Why? Because he says, it is your life. 
So the correction that comes, the discipline that comes, is saving me something. Saving me from something. Hallelujah. Now, there's two main ways that this correction, this discipline shows up. Number one, through the Word. Number two, through people God has placed in my life. Primarily those that God has placed in a position of leadership, my pastor and others. All right? But I've learned over the years that if I'm consistent with the Word, I can see things and self-correct and not have to be corrected. All right? Now, that, that, that doesn't mean there's not a place for that. It just means that if I am seen in the Word, if I'm consistent with the Word, I'm going to eventually run across something that corrects me or instructs me or disciplines me. Now, generally, generally, when I have to be corrected by somebody in authority over me, it's generally because I have ignored what the Scripture is saying. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So when you read a verse and it corrects you, it corrects you, be obstinate about it. Be hard-headed about it. Grab a hold of it. Seize it. I'm going to change that. Why? It's your life. I say it's your life. What if, what if in the very beginning, what if in the very beginning, Eve who was deceived, Right? The Bible says Adam wasn't deceived. He, he did it with full knowledge of what he was doing. What if in the very beginning he would have seen her with that fruit and he would have said, no, 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 we're not eating that. Now you know what the Lord said. Now you throw that, throw that down. You, you serpent, you get out of this garden. Right? What if he would have corrected the circumstance? Right? Well, we... we it's just fair to say we would be in a much better environment. Amen. Right? But instead of correcting, he went along with it. Amen. When you see something in the Word that corrects you, very often your mind and even the devil, it doesn't even have to be the devil, but your mind will look for a way to ease the impact of what you're being corrected about. Amen. Amen. But what you need to do is take fast hold of it. Be obstinate about it. Why? Because that correction, we're going to get into this in a few moments, is working something in me. Something greater is being worked in me than the present pain of the correction. Amen. Yeah, but that hurts. I know correction hurts. Discipline hurts. Anything you discipline yourself to do will come with a certain amount of discomfort. Whatever it may be. Amen. The reason, again, that we take fast hold is because it will save your life. I've been pastoring a long time now. Not as long as some, longer than others. And, and I've had the opportunity to present correction. I've had the opportunity to take people to the Word 
and, and, and let them see the Word and hope that the Word would correct them. And, and here's the thing that I've learned over the years, that a, uh, to refuse correction is rebellion. If I refuse correction, I'm in rebellion. Now, I know that's strong. But when you see something in the Word that is corrective, and you ignore it, now I'm in rebellion. Because it's there. Hallelujah. And uh, I've had uh, times over the years, uh, I'm thinking of one person in particular, that uh, any time that you would, you, would, you would try to be corrective or, or bring, uh, uh, you know, a a measure of discipline to them. They would make this statement, well, we follow God, not man. That's rebellion. We do follow God. But Scripture says that we follow those that He's placed over us because they watch over us and care for our souls as those that must give an account. Right? So I do follow God. God's who I follow. But there are people in my life that God brings into my life for the purpose of helping me grow in my walk with God. And Scripture says, particularly in Romans chapter 12, that when I rebel against the power, I'm rebelling against God. I, I, I just saw you jump off your couch and shout about that. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, now, see, a lot, a lot of times, a lot of times we, we don't like that. But the Lord told me some weeks ago, uh, I was thinking about some things, and He took me over there to Romans 12. And it says, the powers that be are of God. He said, be subject to the powers, because they're for your benefit. Amen. Now, but in the day and age we live in, I've seen parents do this in church. The teacher at school will correct the child and the child will come home and not like it and the parents will go to school and jump on the teacher. Now how can that teacher help that child grow and help them mature and help them be what they need to be when that parent has taken the power of correction away from the the teacher? When, you, when we don't take fast hold of instruction, we take the power that God can use through His Word to help us away. Because I will not take hold of it. Amen. The, Jesus, said, Jesus said that the, the, many of the religious leaders in His day, He said, you make the Word of God powerless. How is the Word of God powerless when Scripture says there's no Word of God that's void of power? But yet Jesus, who was the author of the Scripture, said they made it powerless by your tradition. In other words, you see something in the Word and you don't like it, so you make a tradition to avoid it. Right? He said, he said, you tithe mint and anise and cumin and, and down to these minor herbs, but you omit the weightier matters of the law, namely love and caring for your brother. And Jesus was constantly doing what? 
correcting them about their hypocrisy of causing, telling other people to do something and you're not doing what you're telling everybody else to do. And he said, here's what happens. You go out with that hypocritical attitude and you make a, 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 a disciple. And he said, and when you do that, you make them twice the child of hell that you are. Because you're not receiving instruction. You're not receiving discipline. And then when you, when you disciple somebody, you disciple them in the way that you do things. Amen. Now, why is that important? Because there are people that the problems they're facing in their life are because they won't be corrected. They won't be disciplined. They won't be instructed. Amen. You, you, you can tell somebody something. I've, I've had opportunity to talk to people, and I know I heard from the Lord when I went to talk to them. And I would tell them, I would say, now, now this is what you're dealing with, and the Lord has showed me this. And I've had them look at me and go, no, no, that's not what I'm dealing with. Okay. Now, if they were in a church service, and Wild Willie was on the organ, right? Amen. And I was walking up and down the aisle and went to them and said, oh, thus saith the Lord. Right? They would have received it and ran with it because it wasn't corrective. But when it's corrective, I've now got a choice to receive it or reject it. If I reject it, it'll cost me. Period. Why? He said, it's your life. He said, if you take fast hold of it, it is for your life. Well, what if I don't take fast hold of it? Amen. Right? Look at uh, Proverbs 3. Oh, glory. Proverbs 3 and uh, verse 11. It says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of His correction. For whom the Lord loves, He correcteth, even as a father the son in whom He delights. So notice, he says, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Because the one that the Lord, it says, don't be weary of his correction. So does that tell us something? That correction in the life of a believer is somewhat constant. Because he says, don't be weary of it. So, if I can grow weary of something, it's something that is done on a somewhat consistent basis. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, correction is a wonderful thing. Because notice what he says. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects. even as the father of the son in whom he delights. Well, that word despise means to reject or to refuse. To reject or refuse. 
So he's saying, don't reject, don't refuse the chastening of the Lord. Well, the word chastening, there's the same word for instruction in chapter 4. Same word. Hallelujah. So the correction that we receive from God, whether it be from the Word or those that God has placed in authority in our lives, the correction that we receive from God is love. Amen. You know, when a child is small, you can tell them, well, I correct you because I love you. Well, they don't quite understand that. Because why? No correction is pleasant. I don't care who you are, it is not pleasant to be corrected. It's just not. It's, it's, it, it works something in your flesh to receive correction. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, I don't advocate doing this, but, you know, uh, uh, when I was growing up, I was, I was always told this, oh, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Well, it never did. It never did. It never hurt them more than it hurt me. Why? Because it was my backside that was getting the belt. Right? There were times I thought, well, let's just turn this cat around and, and see if it hurts you more than it hurts me. But anyway, my point is, but it was done out of love. Any time that you're willing to correct a child that's sitting there looking at you with those big, beautiful eyes and, and I'm sorry, Daddy, and, and I won't ever do it again. Oh, you, you so want to just take them at their word, but you know that if you don't correct them and if you don't discipline them and you don't instruct them, there will be nothing in their memory to come up to stop them from doing that again. Amen. And, 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 and it doesn't matter what it is. Okay, I'm going to ground you. I'm going to take this away from you. No, you're not going to the get-together. You're not going to the game. You're not going to this. You're not going to that. Or it may be I've got I've to corporately punish you, however it may be. But here's the point. It's for a reason. It's, it's for why I'm saving you something. If I just let you go on the way you're going, I really don't love you. Too many times in our society, we think that love is all about giving, 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 giving. And if I just give my children enough, or if I just give my grandchildren enough, then they'll know how much I love them. Giving is part of love, but remember, it's consistency that produces the power. And so I've got to have equal parts love and correction. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that what causes people to grow is mercy and truth. Well, truth is what makes you strong. Truth is what gives you character. Truth is what makes you stable. Mercy, if you just give mercy all the time, then you have people with no character. It takes both of them. Yeah, but God is a God of love and God is love and, and God is merciful. Yes, He is all those things. And it says if God loves you, He corrects you. Amen. 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 
Now, now why is that so important? Because listen, the, the, more, the more willing you are to receive what God brings into your life, the better your faith will work. The, the better you're able to, to function. Because a lot of times what produces condemnation in people's lives are things that God has been trying to deal with them about and trying to get them to change and they haven't changed it and it's still there. And God cannot move something else into your life when there's already something there taking its place. And, and in order to move it out, I've got to correct it. Amen. Hallelujah. So the correction we receive is love. A child who's never corrected is not a very well-loved child because they're not corrected. Well, you know, I just it just hurts my heart. But I've got to have a biblical viewpoint of it. If I love them, I'm going to correct them. I, I had to learn that as a pastor. I've known pastors before that things would be going on and people would be doing things in their church and, they, and they'd say, oh, that person's causing me a problem. And, I, and, well, why don't you deal with it? Well, you know, I just believe the Lord will work it out. The Lord has placed a head over that church called a pastor that when people don't want to listen, they get corrected. Right? Because that's my job. I will stand accountable for the church. Paul said in Colossians, it's my job to present the church to Jesus mature. You can't mature without correction. You just can't. If you've ever grown up around a spoiled brat, somebody that was never corrected, they always wanted their way, demanded their way. Amen. It's an uncomfortable place to be in. Uncomfortable. Why? Because if, if you grew up being corrected, and I was, I grew up corrected, right? Then, then I knew I better not do that because my daddy will play the stars and stripes. He'll lay down the stripes and I'll see the stars. Amen. He believed that scripture that said the blueness of a wound dries foolishness from the heart of a child. Amen. Yeah, I mean, he would quote that. The rod of correction will not let you be a fool. Hallelujah. Yeah. Glory to God. Another one he liked was beat them. They'll not die. <laughs> That's what the scripture says. It says if you've got a rebellious child, beat him. He won't die. Now, now that's what it says. Read it in the book of Proverbs. Well, well, obviously, that word means something then that it doesn't mean now. It means something now that it didn't mean then. But the, the point is, notice what it says. It says if, if a child has foolishness, which is a lack of understanding in their life, he said correction will drive it from them. Not patting them on the head. Not taking them to get a toy. Correcting them. Amen. I had a, I had a cousin one time that uh, uh, they just, uh, they figured out that the way to get what they wanted was throw a fit. And uh, he went to the store one time with me and my mother <laughs> 
And uh, my mother would always tell us going into the store, she would say, don't you ask for nothing because I'm not buying you nothing. We're not here to get you anything. We're here to do what I need to do. She was very generous, but when that's how it was. And you knew, don't ask. You, you don't ask because if you ask, then you got this. When we get out in the car, we're going to talk. And talk wasn't verbiage. Talk was, I'm going to whip you. Amen. And so we went in there, and, and, of course, my cousin asked for something, and my mother said no. Well, he laid down on the floor and started throwing a fit. She walked off and left him, throwing a fit. That's a different day and age, of course. You could do that. But the point was, you know, he finally came to himself and figured out it wasn't working and went and found her. Correction. Now, I'm not just talking about discipline in children. I'm talking about that's the relationship that God uses to picture him and us. He's our father. We're his children. And he says there's going to be times because he loves us that he corrects us. Amen. That he corrects us. And he says, notice, he says that it's up to me not to despise it. Don't despise it. Amen. So when correction comes, the only proper response is thank you. I'll change that. Why? Because if I didn't care about you, I would just let you do whatever you wanted to do. Amen. You know, when you read through Scripture and uh, read through primarily books like Jeremiah and uh, uh, even Zechariah to some extent and other books, you see God saying things all through the book. He will say, I've dealt with them and I've dealt with them and I've dealt with them. When you read through the Old Testament and, and God allowed the Assyrians to come in and put his people in bondage and the Babylonians and all these foreign powers, when you see God allowing that, he said, I did that and I allowed that to try to teach you something. Amen. But you wouldn't listen. Right? He says in the book of Proverbs, he said, because I tried to correct you and I tried to discipline you, he said, and you wouldn't have it. You refused it. He said, now when you cry about this thing, I'm not listening. Amen. Yeah, but you know, God is forgiving and God, but listen, listen, God is forgiving. But repentance is not just a change of mind. It's a change of, of, of action. It's a change of thought. It's a change of direction. Yes. Amen. And, and people will say, yeah, but you know, I've repented over that. that. That doesn't mean that the correction is any less. Because in our day and age, we have thought that repentance is saying, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. Amen. And, and, and it is a parent that's not trying to build character that if the child says, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again, they back off. I realize you're sorry, and I do believe that you're not going to do it again, but you did do it this time, so we're going to correct it. Mm, hallelujah. I hear you shouting from wherever you're at. Amen. Why is that so important? 
Because as, as I press into the things of God, I'm going to receive correction. Amen. Now notice here in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, I do believe that uh, Hebrews is in the New Testament, if that's correct. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasures, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now notice that real quick. He says that the chastening God brings is for our profit. So we could be partakers of his holiness or what he has set us apart for. So if I want to be completely involved in what God has set me apart for, there's going to be a time that He corrects me. Amen. And then it goes on and says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Oh, isn't that right? Right? Well, here comes correction. Boy, I just, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. (laughs) No, no, right? I've I've never done that. Amen. But notice what it says, but grievous. Now notice, seemeth, seemeth to be grievous. In other words, boy, it seems like this is really a bad thing. But notice, nevertheless, afterward, a- after the correction. In other words, there's something that can't happen until after the correction. Amen. What is it? It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So correction yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, of right standing, the fruit of right standing. Every person that's born again is in right standing with God, but many believers are not enjoying the peace of righteousness because they won't receive the correction. Amen. The New English Bible says discipline, no doubts, never pleasant. At the time it seems painful, but in the end it yields for those, notice this, who are trained by it. The peaceable harvest of an honest life. Now there's two things that that really uh, grab my attention. Is number one, it says it yields. Well, when I was growing up on, on the ranch and they would plant the wheat circles and the, and the corn circles, they made their estimations based on yield of the product. How much, how, how much that circle is going to yield in harvest. All right? 
And then the second thing that caught my attention was this word trained. Trained. If you ever have trained for something, I don't care what it is, there's a certain level of discipline and correction that's necessary. Right? And pain. It's just, it's just the way it is. And so this correction is yielding something. If I'm willing to be trained by it. If, if you have a coach that wants you to succeed and you want to succeed, they're getting a yield out of you by training you. Amen. And, and you can feel like, oh, they're mean. Oh, they're hard. But they're trying to get a yield. And they have to do it by training. That they can't get out of you what they need to get if they don't train you. Right? Amen. If, if, if you got a basketball coach, if you're going to play good ball, listen, you're going to run lines. You're going to run them and you're going to run a lot of them. Why? Because basketball is a cardio sport. You got to be able to run and run and run and run and run. And you got to be strong. Hallelujah. And so a good coach will train you because he's getting a yield out of you. Amen. Do, do, do you see that? Now, obviously, I've never coached anything on a professional level, but just in my limited experience, I, I used to coach my daughter's uh, uh, basketball team at school, her that, that junior high basketball team, and, and we had a bunch of little, little short girls, and, and I knew from the very beginning, okay, we're not going to out-rebound anybody, we're not going to out-jump them, we got to outrun them. We got to be quick and fast and we got to outrun them. My Lord, we ran and we ran and we ran and we ran and we ran. I'll never forget this one little girl came to me and she said, Coach, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I said, Here's the can, throw up. And she threw up and I patted her on the back and said, Now get back out there. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And we, man, I had 10 girls on my team, 10 girls. I could sub five at a time. And all of them had that cardiovascular endurance. Oh, my Lord. We, those, big, those big teams, we just ran them in the ground. Ran them in the ground. But now that didn't just happen. They didn't like running. They would run with tears. They would run saying, please, do we have to? Yes, we have to. <laughs> Amen. And mamas would be sitting there on the, on the side. <laughs> He's running my little girl. Well, she don't have to play. She don't have to play. If she don't want to run, she don't have to play. That's not being harsh. It's this, this is what you've asked me to do. Because listen, the same parent that will get frustrated because you're running their child will get mad if you don't win. They want, they want a yield of winning, but they don't want the child to go through the pain that it costs to win. A believe, there are believers that want the yield of victory and the yield of the product of faith, but they don't want to go through the training that produces it. 
Amen. This season that we're in, and, and I'm just saying what God's trying. I was listening to my pastor last night on the way home, and uh, a message that he preached years ago, and he said he got up that, that afternoon and was praying. He didn't get up in the afternoon. He was praying in the afternoon, and the Lord spoke to him and said, go to church and tell the people this is the time for everything they've been believing. This is the season to reach out and take it. And the Lord said to me, this was over 20 years ago, and the Lord said to me, he said, that's the same type of season that you're in right now, that everything that you need, just reach out and take it. It's coming. It's yours. Take it now. Amen. In this season that we're in, the Lord told me there, there were different types of people. And he said, there are people that have entered into this season that were strong in faith, and they're going to be stronger in faith when they come out of it and have more than they went in it with. He said, there are going to be other people that were kind of on the edge, and their faith's going to be stronger when they come out. And he said, but there are going to be people that would not put any effort into their faith before this showed up, and they're going to struggle through the whole season. Because, because uh, an illustration that I have, the Lord helped me use it, is uh, out where we live, there, there's an uh, uh, NBA player that lives in our neighborhood. And the first day we were there, uh, uh, and I was uh, unloading some things, uh, we live kind of on a hill, and uh, I saw him walk down the hill, and I saw him turn around and sprint back up the hill. And he walked down the hill, turned around and sprint back up the hill. Well, I finally uh, figured out who he was, and I was talking to him, and I said, keeping it in shape, huh? And he goes, yep. He said, because you never know when they're going to open it back up and we start playing again. Yep. He's not sitting on the couch eating Twinkies and drinking diet root beer, right? He's out there getting a yield out of his body by training. And there's no coach cracking the whip. There's no trainer telling him what to do. It's this is my job. This is my profession. And I've got to be ready when the season opens back up. Faith is your job. Faith is your profession. You've got to be willing to put in the work to get the yield. Amen. And you know, sometimes if you're not doing it right, the coach comes along and he goes, oh, y'all against the wall. Wall sits. Right? Why? Because, because you, listen, you're not running. You're not working. Amen. And eventually, you know what would happen? Eventually, the older members of the team would say, now y'all better run because I'm not doing wall sits today. I'm not doing it. You better run. If you don't run, I'm going to beat you up when we get in the locker room. Amen. I, I can remember those days. The littlest guy on the team, you better get out there and hit somebody because if you don't and we got to run laps, we're going to beat you up. Amen. And they, and they would get it done. Now, now, here's what I'm saying. So God will bring people into your life, pastors, leaders, that will correct you and say, look, there's a lot you're believing God for, and you need to change this. You need, you need to get up and get in the weight room. You need to run laps. You need to get up early in the morning and go to the spiritual gym and get some yield out of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Why? Because they know, they know, they know something big's around the corner for you, but you got to be ready to take it. Amen. So discipline, correction, instruction is training, and it will yield something, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Amen. Hallelujah. And we, we made mention, it's not always pleasant, 
Why? Because it's training. Not always pleasant. It's training. You know, I told somebody one time, they were talking about, excuse me, training for a marathon. And they were asking me questions. And I said, well, there's two things that you got to be ready to do. You got to be ready to run a lot and hurt a lot. It's just the way it is. Because that's what you do. You run a lot and your body tries to rebel. I told guys that used to run with me, I'd say, number one, pain is weakness leaving your body. And number two, it's not your body quitting, it's your mind giving up. One guy said, but what if I, he said, but I feel like I'm going to die. I said, John, don't worry about it, you'll pass out before you die. (laughs) Before you die, you'll pass out. We'll drag you on, amen. Now, now, when I say that, I'm just saying the pain is not necessarily an excruciating pain. It's the pain of you making your body do something that it doesn't want to do. But eventually you will get to the point where you enjoy doing that. Because you have trained yourself to understand the benefits of it. You will get to the place where standing in faith is something you come to enjoy. Because you realize what's at the end of that. There's a yield coming out of it. It's the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Amen. And one day, even in the natural, your children will look back like I've looked back. I thank God that they spanked me when I did that. I thank God that they corrected me when I did that. Because my parents could have left me to myself like other parents did. And I could have been in the same place they are. But here I am today doing what God has called me to do. My family's serving God. My kids are serving God. And if my parents had not taken the steps they took, there would have been no yield in my life. Amen. So our attitude should be, if I'm wrong, correct me. Say it out loud. If I'm wrong, correct me. Amen. I was talking to a friend of mine the other night, and we have the same pastor. And he said that pastor told him, he said, uh, Uh, you're always so easy to counsel. And he said, the whole time that I, he was my pastor, I only had to counsel three times. And he said, but he told me, you're always so easy to counsel because you're so easy to correct. You know, that's what counsel is. Correction can be. Amen. And so I just got to receive it. So, If I'm wrong, correct me. I'll receive it and I'll embrace it. If I'm wrong, show me. Show me where I'm wrong. Please show me. Why? It's my life. Amen. Hallelujah. Now we'll move on to another one. Number two, let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5. Thank you, Jesus. You know, one last word on on correction. You know, uh, correction is something that, especially as, as a leader, if I am administering it correctly, the person feels empowered, edified, and encouraged after the correction. 
boy, they care enough about me to correct me. Amen. Amen. Correction is not harsh in tones of harshness. I uh, worked for a number of years, obviously, in the corporate world. And uh, the department that I was a part of, in the beginning, it was ran by uh, a lady that uh, she had actually she'd been a captain in the U.S. Army. And uh, uh, she retired from the Army and, and was in this position uh, at the corporation that I worked for. And her idea of leadership was just uh, yell and scream and cuss and, and uh, uh, slam things. And, and uh, I never responded to that kind of stuff well. If you start yelling at me, I just shut down. I don't do well with people yelling at me. And, and what I mean by that, when I say I don't do it, it doesn't freak me out. I just turn you off. Right? Because there's no reason for that. I'm an adult. I'm, I'm intelligent. You can talk to me, not yell at me. Right? And so, consequently, she would start that and slam things, and this department isn't making the quota, and it's blankety-blank and blank-blank and slam stuff. And I remember the last meeting that uh, I was ever in that she conducted. I couldn't help myself. I laughed out loud. She looked like one of them little elves that was mad and, and hopping up and down, you know, looked like a little demon up there mad and yelling. And, and I just laughed. And she said, you can leave. And so I did. I left. And so... <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't being insubordinate. It was just everything, everything that's not correction. Nobody left the meeting feeling edified or built up. Correction leaves you with the understanding that I can do better, right? Or you wouldn't be correcting me. Does that make sense? When, when someone is correcting uh, your form when you're doing something, your running form, your, your lifting form, whatever it may be. They're trying to save you something. If, if you're lifting a bunch of heavy weight with bad form, you're going to break something, pull something, strain something. If somebody comes along and says, hey, you know, now it's none of my business, but I think if, if you shifted here, you'd find that that's a lot easier. Now, you can be ignorant. Well, who do they think they are? <laughs> oh, he, uh, he's only lifting 150 pounds more than you. Looks like you want to look. Listen to the man or the woman. Amen. Am I, am I making sense? And, and you'll feel edified and built up and encouraged because you received the instruction. But it's, it's the way it's presented. Amen. Now, in second, or I said, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 21. The second thing we're going to deal with is he said, hold fast to that which is good. Verse 21, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. The Woos Bible says, be putting all things to the test for this purpose of approving them and finding that they meet the requirements. Put your approval upon them. And then it says, be constantly holding fast to that which is good. Constantly. So it's saying, listen to what you hear, and if it's good, hold on to it. If it's good, hold on to it. Constantly. 
So hold fast to that which is good. But he said, prove it first. The word prove means to test, to examine, or scrutinize. Test, examine, or scrutinize. Most teaching that's contrary to the word would be rejected if believers followed this pattern. Prove it, and if it's good, hold on to it. I'm talking about opinion. I'm not talking about your opinion. I, I had a, a guy in Bible school one time when they would do their, their uh, uh, public speaking on the subject that we would choose. They would say, well, in my opinion, this means, and in my opinion, and in my opinion, and, you know, you finally had to go and say, look, it's not your opinion we're looking for. What's Scripture say? Yeah. Right? Because my opinion can be influenced by whether or not I'm doing it. Yeah. Amen. I had a friend of mine one time, I preached in his church, and, and I, I preached on seven things that God wants to do for you from the Scripture. And, of course, there was very heavy faith influence. And he met with me a couple weeks after that and wanted to give me that church. And uh, so we were praying about it. We met a, a week after, and he goes, well, here's a question I have for you. He said, uh, if you preach messages like you'll have what you say and these different things, and he said, what are you going to say if somebody comes and says, well, I said it, and I didn't get it? I said, I'll tell them they're wrong. Because that goes contrary to Scripture. Well, he looked at me and said, well, you know, I just, I just couldn't see, you know, I just couldn't see saying that. And so, you know, we're, we're just not going to do it. Well, I was fine with that. I, I was pastoring a growing church, still am. But the point that I'm making is notice that instead of holding fast to what's good, amen, amen. you have to prove it. False teaching and error thrive in an atmosphere where that pattern's not followed. Prove it, test it, scrutinize it, examine it. And then if it meets the notice, it says if it meets the requirement, put your approval on it. Then afterwards, hold fast to that which is good. The word, of course, hold fast means to possess, to retain, or to seize on. To grab a hold of. So I should seize on what's good and hold on to it. Brother Hagin said it this way. He said, chew the hay and spit out the sticks. Hold on to what's good. But this is my responsibility. That's why every believer needs a working knowledge of the Word of God. What does the Word say? I need to know for myself. Amen. Yes. Because, because false doctrine... And, and false theology thrive when people don't know what the Word says for themselves. Glory to God. If you put something to the test and it doesn't meet the standard, stay away from it. What, what does Scripture say? I've told people for years that, that you don't take what you hear somebody say on TV or radio or a CD or something 
and try to judge whether or not your pastor's correct. You, you take what you're hearing week in and week out that you can prove and you judge everything else by that. That's right. Amen. Amen. That's right. I can't tell you the times that I've heard something and you know it sounded good in the natural. It sounded well, you know, but, but it's, it's, like, uh, it's like if you've ever been putting a puzzle together and you have a piece and it just almost fits. I mean, it's almost the right pattern. You know, I've seen people do this. Well, I mean, it fit because they forced it. But it wasn't quite right. When you hear something that's not quite right, don't just swallow it. Spit it out. Because why? It's not quite right. Amen. And, and if you hold on to that, whatever it is will start affecting your life. What, whatever it is. I remember one time there was a young man that got born again uh, in our church. And I mean, he got delivered out of a, a, a horrible life and set free by the power of God, delivered from addiction. It was Easter Sunday morning. I'll never forget it. He had just gotten out of jail. And uh, uh, I mean, he got delivered and set free and got on fire for God. I mean, I mean, looking, going somewhere to burn a barn for Jesus. He was on fire. And uh, I mean, just radically set free. And, and I married him and his wife. And, and, and my goodness, it was just the most anointed ceremony I'd ever done to that time. People were speaking in tongues. They were speaking in tongues. Everybody was crying. It was, you know, powerful. And, uh, I mean, he got a hold of the word of faith and was going with it. And his mother came into town and asked him on a Sunday. She said, I'd like you to go to, to my church with me, this church over here. And uh, it was a certain denomination. Well, he asked me about it. And I said, well, you know, I, I mean... You know, I can't tell you not to go with your mom to church. You've got to do what you think's right. It's not my place to tell you not to go. And so he went, and uh, uh, he came back, and uh, I didn't see him Sunday night. I saw him on Wednesday. And he came back, and he had a book that this pastor had given him because they asked him where he went to church, and he told him uh, our church, well, this guy knew that we were word of faith. And it gave him a book that was knocking Brother Copeland, Brother Jerry, all of the people that, and he made this statement to me. He said, this book is coming against everybody I have any confidence in. And he said, it has shaken me. He was never the same. Never the same. He backslid. Lost his marriage. Lost his life. Died young, much too young, in horrible circumstances. His life was not going that direction. But he didn't hold fast to what was good. I tried to talk to him. I took him to the Word. I showed him what the Word says. But listen, once you are influenced by something false, it becomes difficult for what's true to change your mind. Amen. That's, that's, I, I asked a person one time, uh, he was telling me he's Holy Ghost filled, Holy Spirit filled believer. And he kept talking to me about this guy he was listening to. And this man I heard him say with my own ears that speaking in tongues and things of that was not of God. And I said, why would you listen to that? 
Yeah, but he's real good on this. I don't care what he's good on over here. Why are you listening to that? Well, you know, no, I don't know. Remember the brownies? Just, just a little bit of manure in the brownies, just a pinch. You're, right, you're not, you won't even taste it. But it's still there, right? Remember the, the movie, what was it, this, this movie, uh, I forget what movie it was, but, but there, there was this servant girl, and this real arrogant man would come to her, her boss's house, and, and he would always be demanding of her and, 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 and of them, and he would always want some water, some good cold water. And so she'd go out and get his water and spit in it and stir it up and take it to him, and he'd just drink it like it was good. Right? When you think about things like that, we think, oh, I would never do that. Then you've got to give attention to what you're hearing. Right? And if it's good, hold on to it. You don't sit and listen. For instance, you don't sit and listen to people criticize your president, criticize your government, criticize your pastor, criticize your fellow believers. That's not good. That, that's not holding fast to what is good. That'll affect you. Why? Because, because you're partaking in lies. When, uh, when uh, the serpent started talking to Eve, did Eve have the authority to shut him up? Yes. Because the Bible says God gave them dominion. Right? What'd she do? She kept listening. And what did it do? It eventually made the word, the truth that God had spoken, seem like a bondage instead of a freedom. Well, God knows that if you eat of that tree, it's actually going to help you. Right? Why didn't she say, nope, that's not what God said. Not going to listen to you because that's not what God said. There was a lady that came to the church one time, came for a number of, of, of weeks and months, actually two or three months. And when she came in, she was just, well, I'll tell you the truth. When she came in, it, just from dealing with it for years, I could tell she had cancer. And I could tell it was in advanced stages, just the way her body looked, the color of her skin. And sure enough, that was right. And she would come on Sunday evenings. And Sunday evenings, of course, the Holy Spirit tends to move in our churches uh, 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 at an accelerated level. And I would be ministering on healing and, and, and victory and overcoming. And man, by the time she left the church, her color would be better. I mean, she would have energy. And uh, uh, she would go and, uh, and come back the next Sunday night and look back in the same state. And then she would, she would uh, sit up under that anointing and under the Word and look better and feel better and smile and just be so, so full of the energy of God. And a friend of hers uh, goes to the church. And uh, I was talking to her about her one day. And she said, well, the problem is this. She said she went back to the church and told the pastor what you were preaching. And the pastor looked at her and said, you better be careful asking God to heal you with something he might have in your life to teach you a lesson. That cancer, don't you pray to get rid of it because you, you, you'll get out of the will of God if you do. 
told her that. It's killing her. The doctors have given her no hope. She's dying. And her shepherd stands there and tells her it might be the will of God. And if you pray it out of your life, you'll get out of the will of God. Well, they buried her and they didn't have to. Because every time she sat up under the word, the word was working. Well, how, do I, how do I know that? Number one, I could see it. And number two, I know in the ministry of Jesus, it says when he was in the room that was so full of sick people, it says, and the power of God was present to heal him. Anytime the word of God is cracked open in a church, the power of God is present to heal. Every time. Amen. And, and if I'll receive it, but I got to hold fast, that's why you don't listen to people that even hint that sickness may be God's will. Turn them off. Turn them off. Yeah, but you got to be mature enough. Listen, listen. I don't buy that. You do whatever you want. I've been doing this a long time. I don't listen to anybody that preaches contrary to what I know God told me in the Word of God. I don't listen to it. The Lord told me years ago, you stay with your fathers, you'll stay safe. That's it. And if it doesn't line up with what the Word says, number one, and it doesn't line up with what they say, number two, I don't listen to it. Yeah, but you got to be well-rounded. No, being well-rounded can kill you. It can kill you. Why? Because, right? Because Charles Capps told the story about the, the old horse. You know, he talked about people chewing the hay and spitting out the sticks. And he said, but I had a horse one time that got a stick lodged in his throat and couldn't spit out the stick. There are people that don't know to spit out the sticks. And it'll kill them. And he said, I had to get a vet out there and help him or he'd have died. Amen. Am, am I helping you this morning? Because I got to hold fast to that. Amen. And, and so I'm allowed to prove it. If anybody ever has a problem with you testing or scrutinizing or examining what they say, they got the problem, not you. If I can't prove what I'm telling you from the Scripture, I shouldn't be saying it. Amen. The Lord told Pastor Michelle and I one time concerning uh, the way a certain person preached faith. He said to both of us the same thing. He said, uh, uh, I don't want you preaching faith that way. Because the scripture says this, the sweetness of the lips increases learning. There are things that people can say and they're right, but the way they say them is wrong. You don't want to listen to that because you'll begin to preach it that way. You'll begin to say it that way. Amen. Never fall into the trap of thinking you can listen to something unsound and believing it won't affect you because it will. Because it goes into your mind. Hallelujah. Do you see this? Because... Drano is poison. Now you can drink it, but it'll kill you. Right? That's why there's a skull and crossbones on the, the bottle. There's a lot of teaching out there that needs a skull and crossbones on it. It, it needs an advisory label. Warning, listening to this may cause you to be sick. 
may cause you to be blind. Right? Amen. Antifreeze is sweet to the taste, but it'll kill you. You drink enough of it, it'll crystallize your kidneys. It'll kill you. Amen. But, but you take a, a, an animal, a cat, a dog, they'll, they'll, if, 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 if you drain your, your radiator, they'll lap up that antifreeze and think it's good and it's killing them. Because everything that tastes good and looks good and is sweet is not good. It's like cupcakes. All cupcakes are lies. They're just lies. They, they promise food, but they're, they're lies. <laughs> Amen. We're told, notice, <laughs> faith in anything comes from hearing that thing. There are people that are absolutely convinced that it's God's will for them to be sick and broke because that's what they've been taught. There are people that are convinced that, that, that it's God's will for them to go through trials and to go through all kinds of hardship and to struggle in their life. You're going to face trial and hardship, but you're not supposed to struggle. You're supposed to defeat it and come out of it. Amen? One last scripture here. Philippians chapter 4. Because we're holding fast to that which is true. Scripture tells us what to think on. Philippians 4, 8 and 9, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, if there's any virtue and any praise, think on these things. Then it says this, These things that you have learned, received, and heard, and seen in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. Notice, the Phillips translation says, Fix your mind on what is true. The Jerusalem Bible says, fill your mind with everything that is true. Today's English version says, fill your mind with those things that are good and deserve praise. Things that are true. Now, there's nothing in the scripture by accident and there's nothing put in the scripture in the way it's placed by coincidence. The very first thing that we're told to think on are things that are true. Truth. So I'm supposed to think on the truth. Now, circumstances are not truth. Yeah, but pastor, it's a reality. Yeah, but reality is not truth. I have not watched regular TV in how many years? I don't know. And when I say that, I mean anything on cable or anything. I, I don't watch it. Well, I don't have cable. But here's the point. There, something came out a few years ago called reality TV. Lie TV. It's not reality. I mean, it's, it's reality in the sense that, that they want it to be reality so you'll watch it, but it's, it's not truth. 
what you're dealing with or what you may be facing may be a reality and it may be real, but it's not truth. He said, you think on what's true. Yeah, but pastor, it's a reality. I'm sick. No, the truth is the moment you were born again, you were healed. Hmm. The really only thing that's true in the world is what you have in your lap. This is truth. Everything else can be changed. You can't change truth. But you take the book, the Word of God, and it will change everything else. That's why I said you hold fast to what's true. Amen. And notice something else. This is not a suggestion. I am to take this as a command and discipline myself to focus on and only think on those things that are true. We've got a phrase in the world nowadays called fake news. Not true, right? Here, here not too long ago, one of the major networks was caught using footage from hospitals in Italy to report on hospitals in New York. But you know what? People will hear that and they'll just keep watching it. Because people today don't care if it's true. Is it, is it, uh, uh, is it sensational? Uh, is it you know, exciting? Does it say what I want to hear? What's true though? Truth isn't always exciting. Here's truth. Having done all to stand, stand. That's not exciting. Because it denotes effort. Amen. How about this? Here's truth. Love your enemies. Do good to those that despitefully use and persecute you. But that, see, adhering to that truth is producing something in you. You understand? Standing in faith is producing something if you hold on to it. The Lord woke me up this morning. Somebody said to me something last night uh, that was just contrary to things that the Lord had said. And the Lord woke me up this morning. He woke me up saying this to me. And you do whatever you want to do with it. But he said this to me. He said, the other side, talking about the other side in the political arena, he said, he said they cannot stand what's going on with the president. So every time he takes a step where something good is happening, they got to start, they got to bring a negative in. You got to be looking at what's true. Amen. We're not falling apart. The nation isn't falling apart. The prophets that we have trust in said it's the rebirth of our nation. Brother Copeland said something last night. He said that the Lord had been telling him it, the nation's in labor pains. The nation's in labor pains. And he said, the Lord told him, was it yesterday morning or two days ago? Something like that. The Lord said to him, he said, he said, Kenneth, the nation is no longer just in labor pains. She's in full out labor. The baby's about to be born. Amen. Now, what the lie will tell you is that 
everything's going wrong. There's, there's all kind of death. There's all kind. In this room right here, in this room right here, those watching online, the, the few that are gathered here today in helping, uh, there is enough good reports in this room that counter every lie that's trying to be told on national TV because they want to paint the picture that nobody's succeeding, nobody has victory, nobody's overcoming, and everybody in this room and everybody watching online could raise your hands and say, that's a lie because I'm overcoming. Amen. Leroy Thompson, you say it this way, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Amen. That's, that's, that's all. That isn't any good. I'm eating it and it's good. Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying. I'm going to finish up. Bear with me. Be selective about the sources you receive from. Be selective. I had somebody, they brought a book to me one time. And they said, have you ever read after this man? And I said, no, I have not. And they said, why? I said, he doesn't believe like I believe. Well, but, you know, he's good. I'm not, I'm not doubting that he's a good man. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. But there may be something that he says that causes me to pause and think about something I know the Word says. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it. Because the, the Phillips translation says, put into practice that which you've learned from me, Paul says. The Jerusalem Bible says, keep doing all the things you learned from me. Amen. I've had people say things to me, people from other churches, and, and they would say, well, what do you think about this? And my first question is, what does your pastor say? It's, it's not my job to contradict what, that's where you go to church. That's who you need to be learning from. Amen. Hallelujah. According to Scripture, these are two of the main things that will produce peace. First of all, take fast hold of instruction and you'll be safe. Amen? And then number two, hold fast to that which is good and you'll have peace. Notice you'll, your life will be saved and then you'll have peace. So important. Because, uh, you know, When uh, when you're dealing with situations where so many lies are swirling, right? Because because you have, thank you, Lord. You have people with motives and agendas. And I'm gonna say something under the unction of the Holy Spirit, and you do whatever you want to do with it. What you're seeing, a lot of what you're seeing in the natural world, in the natural political arena is hatred for an individual. Hatred for the success of an individual. And regardless of how good something is working or how well something is going, to promote an alternative agenda, that person will deface and try to destroy what is working because a personal agenda to them is more important than the well-being of the whole 
So be spiritually observant, says the Lord. Be spiritually cognizant. Be spiritually aware. And judge words that come out of people's mouths with a spiritual ear. For I have said in my word that you have access to the things of the Spirit. And when something comes out of a person's mouth, you can judge, is it a lie or is it truth? And if it is a lie, put it away from you and listen to them no more. Because liars, according to my word, unless they encounter Jesus Christ and they encounter a relationship with Him, they continue to be liars. Judge the circumstances that you're dealing with from a spiritual viewpoint. Don't make any decisions in this season solely based on profit or solely based on ease. Make your decisions based on what the Spirit is leading you to do for it is vital, it is vital in this season that you be Spirit-led and spirit-directed so that you avoid error and you avoid deception. For what is going to try to come on this nation, even as this season begins to cease and this season begins to desist, what is going to try to come on this nation is a wave of deception and a further wave of fear, a wave of deception that it can't be this good and a wave of fear that it might happen again. Don't be snared into that. Don't be trapped into that. Don't be pulled into that. Know what I have said. Know that I have said the pathway of the righteous grows brighter and brighter. Know that I have said that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Judge things spiritually. And know that it was said before that this, this, this wave, this fog, if you will, this, this haziness, this blinding, what you are seeing in the natural world, what you're seeing with so many that have no knowledge of the truth is they are being blinded by the enemy. They are being blinded by the deceiver. They are being blinded by the adversary. And I need you as my church to hold on to truth as never before because the truth is the light. And it will turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And there'll be great rejoicing. There'll be great rejoicing in the nations. There'll be great rejoicing in the churches as the harvest comes in and the babies are born and the babies are fed. And you'll see it and you'll partake of it and you'll be a participant and you'll look back on these days and you'll say there were times that it was hard on the flesh, but my, 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 look at the spiritual harvest. Hallelujah. Be spiritual, says the Lord, and you'll be safe. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Father, we thank you for the word today. We thank you for the manifestation of your presence and the manifestation of your spirit. We thank you for all you're doing in our lives. Lord, all the blessings. We have, Lord, we have literally lost count of all that you're doing for your people. 
Seems every week we get emails and texts and letters and we're grateful and we thank you for it. We praise you for it in the name of Jesus. And, and Father, we'll do as you said. We'll be spiritual. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.